Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I know wedding photographers who shoot half as many weddings as me, but yet I see them on social media complaining about how busy they are. And for me, it just doesn't add up. I think you can be disciplined and efficient with what you do so that you can have, you can have both. You can have a, a balanced personal life and you can travel a lot. And yeah, so I, I, I think it's, do think it's sustainable and possible. You are listening to the Way Up North podcast, where we interview the speakers coming to Stockholm this fall for the first ever Way Up North wedding photography conference. This week, we'll hear UK-based wedding photographer Ed Pierce. We're good friends with Ed since a few years back, and uh, we've followed him go from someone not too many people in the industry knew about to being one of the biggest names today. In addition to being an extremely talented wedding photographer, he's also a rock star guitarist who's performed in front of huge audiences. He's an aerospace engineer and he's got a PhD. So a man of many talents. If you looked at the podcast schedule on our website, wayupnorth.co, you probably noticed that this week's episode should have been with Fer Juaristi. We had Fer scheduled in for a talk a while back, but due to his travel commitments, we weren't able to do the interview until only a couple of days ago. So we decided to push him back and publish Ed's interview first. You'll hear Fair in two weeks instead when the next episode is out. So back to Ed. Here's Cole's conversation with him from May 2015. Hello, Ed Pierce. Hey Cole, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Very well. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. It's um, it's a pleasure. It's always uh, always good talking to you, my friend. Yeah, I guess we should preface uh, this conversation a little bit by saying that we we do know one another. Some of the other talks I've had um, with the other presenters, I had never spoken with them before, but we've had a few beers before. Sure, we have. Yeah, good times. Good times. So, where are you right now? I am. Um, I'm currently in in Woking in U- in the UK. It's a, it's a small town just outside of London. Um, the particular room I'm in right now is is my my parents' bedroom. <laughs> funnily enough, um, the story behind that is that we're just in the middle of a, a renovation. So our house is a building site at the moment. So um, rather than having drills and diggers in the background, I figured let's find a nice quiet room. Yeah, that's where I am. And are you just passing through? You're an avid traveler, so are you just uh, making a quick pit stop and off to somewhere else soon? I've, this has been, um, I think, probably a three-week stint without travel, which is, yeah, relatively long, I guess, for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love to travel. I'm, I, I get itchy feet when I'm not traveling, so I'm kind of feeling right now, in fact, that um, it's ready to travel again, so... Is your wife and family, are they feeling the same way? Are they getting a little bit uncomfortable seeing this much of you? 
No, Georgia. Um, so Georgia's my uh, my little girl. She's um, three years old. She loves to travel. So in the morning, if you ask her what she wants to do today, inevitably she'll say, "I want to go on holiday. I want to go on an aeroplane." Um, and that's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, they, we, we've been privileged enough to, to you know to travel together. So she's her definitely her father's daughter. She yeah, <laughs> she sure is. Sure is, but um, it's obviously great to be at home together as well. Um, you know, our lives are kind of tipped upside down at the moment just because of all this building work. Yeah. So they're not they're not actually with me at the moment. They're visiting. They're with Beth's family in the other other side of the the UK um, just for this week. So your background, uh, you're obviously English, right? Yes. That's just yeah. that that delightful accent sounds very English. <laughs> But what about culturally back even further? Um, where are your parents from? Are they are they are like first generation Englishmen or do you have some other descendancy? Yeah, so um, I uh, I have an English father and but my mother is originally from Singapore. She's so she's from a Chinese um, background, Chinese parents, um, grew up in Singapore and then um, she she moved to the UK to study and and then met, met my father in London. Um, they're celebrating their, I think their 40th anniversary this year. So wow. I was, yeah, that was that long ago. And um, my mum stayed in the UK ever since. So, um, so yeah, I, I was born here, but I'm, I'm still very, you know, I still have a bit of Asian blood in me, obviously. So I'm still very attached to, um, to that part of the world, and I guess the fact my mum being from Singapore and me travelling back and forth as a, as a kid growing up, visiting my mum's family, um, was really influential in in my, I guess my uh, my the, the travel bug that I have now. So when you would go back uh, back and forth to visit family there, did you ever stay in Singapore for long durations? Like, did you go to school there, for example? No. Uh, we didn't go to school. We, we tend to be summer holidays, so up to six weeks. Um, in fact, I have vivid memories of the last day of the summer term at school and and leaving for the airport and then flying to Singapore for the for the summer and spending spending six weeks there um, as a family. And yeah, I I, I love that. I'm really grateful for that for that opportunity growing up. What language did you speak with your mom growing up? She never taught me anything but English. So um, my mum, if if you heard her speak, she would sound completely completely English. And unfortunately, it's one of my regrets. We, you know, every now and then I joke with her that I kind of say, "Mum, why didn't you teach me um, Indonesian?" Is what is what she what she would speak. Um, that's my mum's second language, I guess. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, she never taught me anything. Um, would have been would have been great. Okay. So your mom met your dad in England, and whereabouts in England were you raised? So I was raised in North Devon. Um, that's in the southwest of the country. It's, it's um, I guess, countryside typifies the landscape. Small towns and countrysides. Um, I lived in a small town, population um, about 20,000, um, so it's a medium-sized town, I guess, but very close to the ocean. And so... Um, you know, ever since, you know, growing up, I remember our bedrooms always used to have a view 
we could see for miles, we could see the sea from our, our bedrooms. We weren't really close to the coast, but, you know, five miles away, you could see the, the, the coast. So I guess that's another thing that's influenced my, you know, what I do now is just I've always had an eye for a, for a landscape. I've always, always loved the, the countryside and just, um, just staring at the clouds and <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up there. Um, and the first time I moved away was uh, for university. Um, I, I studied in Southampton University, okay, which is a okay. medium-sized city for the UK. So Devon sounds like a, a kind of a quiet coastal kind of place, a coastal town that people might come to on a summer holiday or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah, it's that kind of place, very laid-back kind of lifestyle. At, at night, you wouldn't hear, you know, you'd hear a pin drop at night. Um, so yeah, very peaceful, very laid back. So growing up in a so in a, in a smaller town, I don't know. It, I grew up in a small town as well, and I feel like there's limited things to do, limited resources maybe in the town that you grew up in. Like in my case, at least, it was a small town. So in your town, did you have sort of limited access to maybe athletics or arts or cultural things, or, or were you so close to London, for example, you could just go do something there? So like, what kind of stuff did you did you get involved with growing up? Yeah, I guess um, it was more more outdoors. I guess um, so. I would, I used to love cycling, um, and I used to do a bit of surfing. Um, so it was that kind of lifestyle, like culture and the arts. I've, I've, I guess I've always been a kind of creative person deep down, but it it was not until I moved closer to London that I really tapped into that side, and and so once I eventually did move. After, after university. So you were fairly athletic growing up then with cycling and that. <laughs> yeah, I guess for a period. For a period, um, I, I swam a lot. I, I did a bit of competitive swimming. Um, so diving or what? Not diving, no. Just um, just freestyle backstroke. Okay. All that um, all that kind of stuff. Um, something my mum forced me to do as a kid. If I had my own way, I probably would never have. <laughs> but um. But I'm glad she, you know, she taught me how to swim. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't call myself um, terribly athletic. But um, but in Devon, yeah, you, you kind of you embrace the out- outdoors a bit, you know. Okay. Are you an only child? No, I have a sister. She's five years younger than oh. me. And um, yeah, now we're all in the southeast. So my sister lives in London. Uh, my parents. Uh, moved away from Devon to be closer to uh, to me and my sister. Okay. So jump forward a little bit. You said you moved away, I think you said Southampton University you went to? Southampton, yeah. Yeah, so how old were you when you went to, uh, to school and what did you study? So I guess I would have been um, 17, 18 when I moved to Southampton. Um, I studied aerospace engineering. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's... <laughs> A long story behind that, um, but I, you know, this kind of point in my life, I, I, I never had any kind of ambition to do anything other or or anything in the creative kind of industry. As I said, like I only tapped into the, my creative side really during during university, and that's when things really started started to change. So when you're when you're sorry to jump in there, but like yeah, 
I don't know many aerospace engineers, let alone like a 17 year old who decides that's what they want to go to school for. So like, what were you like in your kind of mid teens to make you, you know, say, I want to go study aerospace engineering? Cause that's a, it's a pretty specific thing. It sounds like, and a pretty daunting topic. It is, it is. So I, I guess, um, I guess I was a bit of a geek. Like, uh, <laughs> I was a bit of a geek um, growing up at school. Um, I, I did really well at, at, at school. I was, you know, head prefect, head, head boy, all that, all that kind of stuff. Are, are you being modest and, and trying to not say you had perfect grades? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess this. I, I guess the reason for for me trying so hard at school and being very focused was. That was how my mum was brought up. Um, in the Chinese culture, you know, I guess um, typically people study hard. Like um, people study hard and qualifications are really important to people. And so I I was brought up with a little bit of, of that coming from, from my mum. But the reason I, I chose aerospace engineering was um, was my love for flying, actually. So it all started, as I said before, traveling back and forth to Singapore during oh, holidays. Okay. I got, I mean, I, I, I got addicted to flying from a very young age. And I remember, um, you know, I, I'd just be glued to the window of an airplane and I would just love staring out the window of an airplane. And so when it came to um, making a career choice and choosing, you know, topics to study, I guess I had my mum's voice in one ear saying, you need to have a proper job. You need to get some good qualifications, study things like maths and physics, you know. Um, but then in my other ear was this kind of, um, I, I guess it was a passion for, for travel and for, for seeing the world. Um, and so the, the, the thing that I came up with was that, hey, let's become an airline pilot because an airline pilot is, um, you know, I, I, it would allow me to travel, um, but it's still a, in inverted commas, a respectable job, you know, it would be, it'd be something that my, my mum would be proud of me doing. My mum's family would be proud of me doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why, I, that's why I studied aerospace engineering to help me in my path to become an airline pilot. So what was your, it sounded, sounded the way you described it there. Like maybe when you were young, you kind of had like academic pressure from your mom a little bit, yeah. which you know that those Chinese cultures sort of have that reputation of being disciplined yeah. and hard. So, what was your dad like? Was he was he kind of the other end of the spectrum? Did he kind of give you the wings if your mom gave you the roots? No, I guess um, I guess my my dad kind of supported my my mum, but I was never. Um, I guess there was never any real conflict. It wasn't as if I was really oppressed, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I I just took it as. Um, you know, as, as, as part of my life. And I, I, I didn't, it wasn't like I was eager to, to break free from that. I was quite happy studying maths and physics. Again, I was kind of, I was a bit geeky. So, um, I had, yeah, it didn't, didn't phase me, but the fact that the, you know, with aerospace engineering, it incorporated that kind of, um, that element of, of travel and flying and understanding how all that works. So when you went into your first year of school, um, you just went in there with kind of like, this is the path to get me to my end goal, which is yeah. to fly around in planes, basically. 
Yeah. So what was it like in university? Did you like, I'm not too sure what the university system is like in England, but in North America, it's pretty common to do a lot of extracurricular things like get a job or I don't know, play sports or something. So what was it like for you while you're going to school? Yeah, cool. So, um, I, I worked, um, during holidays, I just pushed trotties around at a supermarket. All right. <laughs> um, might have to edit this cause I've just forgotten your question. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, let's edit that bit out. Yeah, just... Jakob, you can do it, Jakob. If not, let's just leave it in, and everyone's gonna have a yeah, laugh. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so at university, um, yeah, I had I had a job um, pushing pushing trolleys um, around at a supermarket <laughs> uh, during holiday time, um, but also um, one of my keen hobbies was playing guitar. Um, up until this point in my life, I'd always been just a bedroom guitarist. But at university, I started to play um, at, at a church I used to go to um, at my university. And um, I've really got more into, I guess this was one of the first expressions of me tapping into my creative side, which was, was getting, getting more involved in, in music, the arts, and, and playing guitar. And um, I, um, I had the opportunity to... Um, start playing guitar for for a church called Hillsong in, in London. And um, well, isn't Hillsong like? Are we talking about the mega established Hillsong? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. So like, sort of sounds like Coldplay in a lot of songs. Hillsong. Yeah. So, so you went from a like a playing in your bedroom to playing with that band. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, I guess band. I guess team is a better word than band. So, for example, me as a guitarist, I would I would have been one of several guitarists um, that, that played for the for the church band. But I guess um, being at university and me having a flexible um, lifestyle, being a student, meant that I was I, I toured quite a lot with with the church band. So during university. Um, I yeah we we tra- traveled the world um and I had a, an awesome time and and it fueled my tra- ambition to travel um more and more um so this was around when you were in, you were around 20, 20 years old or something like that this would have been um I guess we're jumping a little bit bit further because I I studied for <laughs> Once I finished my undergrad, I actually started a PhD, and so um, I studied for. I was at university for about eight years. Okay. First doing an undergraduate. So undergraduate years were pushing the shopping carts during the holidays, and then when you got to the PhD level, you decided to like complement the PhD with being a quasi rock star. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you're uh, spicing it up just a little bit there, Cole. But well, it sounds so easy. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I guess you know a lot of things happened in the, in those eight years. One of those things was after my undergraduate, um, I moved to to Surrey, which is where I live now. Um, the reason was that me and Beth, my wife, got engaged, and she was also at university, but she was at university in Surrey. So when we both finished our degrees, um, we had a choice. Really, do we move? Uh, to Southampton, where I was had just started a PhD, or do I move up to to where Beth was um, studying and now working? 
um, in, in Surrey. And so we decided to move to Surrey because um, it's a lot closer to London. There's a lot more things happening. It's close to the airports. It's just more of an exciting place to live. So we chose that route. And um, and then once we moved to Surrey, that's when I started attending Hillsong as a church. And then that's when I, you know, joined their worship team and then started playing guitar um, for them. So just to fill in the, the quite a big gap. So so when you finished your undergrad, um, you said you started a PhD program at a PhD. Pro- like I got accepted to a PhD program in Sweden and it was like. A decision I had to make with the PhD like am I going to commit to the PhD or am I going to walk away and the reason I like had those crossroads for myself was it kind of meant a career in academia if you do a PhD so at that time when you finished your undergrad and you were looking ahead to doing a PhD were you looking at the PhD as a path towards a career in education or did you think that that would get you quicker to being a pilot on a plane Okay, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I guess um, we just need to backtrack a little bit because I, I believe I moved up to Surrey um, one year before I started the PhD. And so in that one year, I started playing at church at Hillsong and then and started to travel with them. And I had the, the most amazing time. And, um, you know... I don't know how many times a year we would we would travel or tour, but it used to be a lot. And that was the only reason I could do that was because of my student lifestyle. And so when my undergraduate ended, um, the, my ambition to become a pilot had kind of changed because I was now um, just about to be married. If I wasn't married already, my memory is so bad that. I, <laughs> I um, but. Um, I, yeah, I had a decision to make, and I and I. <laughs> it it sounds kind of um, well. I guess it kind of sounds the motive can be it sounds a bit strange, but the reason I chose to do a PhD was because of the lifestyle, um, not for the qualification. <laughs> um, so I embarked on quite a rigorous four years of of my head in books because. It gave me a flexible lifestyle, which meant I could continue traveling um, with with the band, and I could keep that part of my life going. Um, so, yeah, it was it's kind of a strange crossroads, really. Um, but it, it, at the end of the day, I it was a, it was a lifestyle decision. Um, the benefit was that at the end of the PhD, I could then make another decision. I could I could still fly, or I could, you know. St- see what else developed and obviously something else did did end up developing so did you get to did you get to fly the planes i um i i did a, a gap year so between university and um and finishing college i i took a, a year out and for a couple of months i went to san diego and i and i did some um did some hours towards my basic pilot's license so i did about 20 hours uh, of training, um, which was enough to for me to be able to fly solo. Um, I didn't finish the the qualification, unfortunately, so I'm not a qualified pilot. Which one day I'd love to to finish that, but uh, but it gave me a taster um, for flying, and um, yes, yeah, so that's as far as I got with flying. Okay. Flying solo, okay. yeah. But you completed your PhD. 
But I did complete the PhD. Yeah, complete the PhD, and then um, I then worked for a couple of years in academia as, as a research fellow um, before <laughs> I embarked on you know on the, on the photography that I'm, I'm doing now. So, just to kind of switch gears here, are you fairly religious? Um, yeah, rel well, religious is a funny word. I don't want to get too much into that. Um, but um, yeah, I'm a Christian, and um, so so I have a faith. Absolutely. Um, is, were you raised that way, or is that something like a decision you made later in life on your own? Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's always a decision that you you have to make on your own. There comes a point. Where, um, you, yeah, you have to make a decision for yourself, and so I did that. But I was also raised as a in a Christian family. But my parents, you know, obviously they bring me along to church. But at the end of the day, I don't believe you're born into a faith. Particularly, you know, you you have to at some point you have to make a personal decision. And I did that as a young teenager. And um, and yeah, my faith is a, is a massive part of of who I am and my, yeah, my life. So with, with Hillsongs, like that, I'm saying that right. I hope. Hillsong. Hillsong. Okay. Hillsong. Uh, do they accept people who are amazing musicians or do they accept people who are, are amazing musicians and have the faith or like, how did you get involved with that? Was it because you just became a, a great musician or was it because of the church uh, connection? Um, it was, it was uh, a bit of both. So um, I was already playing guitar at another church, and then, so when we decided to, to join Hillsong and make that our church, um, we, as in you and your wife, you mean? Yeah, me and Beth. Yeah. Um, we, um, yeah, I, I just um, kind of, I, I was, I, I love playing guitar, so I just um, spoke to the to people on the on the team and just said, hey, I play guitar, and I was just invited along to some rehearsals. Basically, that's that's how how it started, and and before before long, I was yeah, I was I was, I was part of the team and playing. So you, it's interesting. You say it's a team and not a band, like yeah, like you've said that a couple times. So I, like, why why is that? <laughs> yeah, it's because we're we're not we're, yeah, we we play whenever we play. I mean, I guess there's there's not a core team. A band you would associate with you know four or five or however many distinct members, one guitarist, one drummer. As a church, we we have a team of musicians, and we probably have 100 musicians, uh, probably more, as, yeah. as part of Hillsong, just just in London. And so um, I, I would have, you know, I, I would be one of six, seven, even eight guitarists, and we would we have a roster. So every, every weekend, um, we would be rostered on with other, other musicians, um, okay, so so was it like I'm trying to kind of picture what this would be like. So sure. do you have like a Hillsong set list, and wherever the gig is, that set list will be played by whichever uh, members of the roster that they pick from, and then you just show up and you play the set list because everyone knows the same songs, or, or like how does it work? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so we have a pool. Um, we have a pool of songs at any one moment in time. Um, say you know 25 songs and so each sunday we'll pick you know whoever's doing the selection we'll pick six songs for that particular service 
and then we just turn up, uh, take a look at the roster, look to see where we're we're playing because we have several campuses around London, around the southeast, mm. and several services at each campus. So on any one Sunday, there's there's probably half a dozen different teams playing, you know, at different venues. So okay. Okay. so the team thing makes sense then when yeah. you describe it like that. So did you ever play in a band? Um, no, any, uh, I guess at college we used to have a, you know, me and three other guys uh, just used to jam together. But I've never, um, never been in a, I guess, uh, yeah, a serious band, if you, if you want to put it that way. I've always been, I've always loved playing as, as, as part of the, the, the church team, really. A serious team. So what was the largest gig that you ever played? Oh well, we've. Uh, I guess. Um, guess the largest would be India, M- Mumbai. We played to a hundred thousands. Uh, sorry, not. That, 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 I'm, I'm thinking of um, of Africa actually. Um, Uganda. We, we had a. We played a, as part of a, a big big outreach, big event there, and yeah, there's a hundred thousand. You said hundred thousand. What the fuck, man? Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty. That was a big, big crowd of people. So, like, did you, were you the one of the six guitarists on the team who got plucked for the roster? Or, like, how did that work? Yeah, I guess, again, because of my flexibility being a student, um, I was, uh, yeah, I, I used to travel a lot. So I, I, I would be one of the key guitarists, I guess, um, who would do a lot of the, the traveling and a, and a lot of the, the larger events. Um so yeah, and then bringing just to sidetrack a little bit and bring photography into it. Like I, the reason I started started getting really serious with photography is because with this opportunity of traveling together with friends and visiting some incredible places and meeting incredible people, I just had to document. I just felt the need to document what we were doing with the, with my camera, and so that's really how. Um, I developed. Um, I started to develop my style, and just, just I kind of it started to just have, you know fuel this passion for for photography. Really, around what year was this? Around. So I, I guess the first time I traveled with a band was probably um, you, yeah, ten years ago. Okay. Um, was when I started. So I started my photography business five years ago so um, for five years um, I played very regularly with with Hillsong and, and traveled the world yeah so if that was 10 years ago is that like your PhD was done by that point PhD was done um, seven years ago now okay okay so um, so you're finishing a PhD while you're playing on the weekends in front of a hundred thousand people in Uganda yeah, I, I, I reckon half my thesis was written on an airplane. <laughs> That's crazy. So yeah, did Hillsong have their own private jet and you just like, were jet, jetting around the world or what? No, no, definitely not. I mean, we would just fly uh, cattle class at the back of the plane, you know, crammed in often on the back rows because we were part of, a, you know, yeah. part of a, a large group of people. So, um, you, so you, you probably played a lot of big gigs, but you, you mentioned that 100,000 in Uganda kind of yeah. straight away. So. Describe what that was like. It, 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 to find the words is really difficult because um, when you do things like that, it's not you, you forget the whole rock star thing. It's completely not 
about that, especially when you're playing for a church, because we're not, we're not, um, it's, it's not about us, you know, we're playing songs. Ultimately, we're leading people into worship. We're not, uh, we're not, it's not like, hey, look at us, we're rock stars. So, so just to, you know, to set that aside to start with, I guess. But the, the biggest impact for me traveling with to places like Uganda was just seeing, we're just seeing the real the real world, really. I think one of the things that I love about traveling, which and one of the things that, one of the reasons I, I, I really feel like I have to keep traveling is because it just expands your horizons and opens your eyes to, to the real world, really. It removes you from your own little bubble in Surrey, with my group of friends, my, my, my town, and, um, and all the, the boundaries involved with that. And it just, it just reminds you that, man, there's a, there's a world out there. People are struggling just to, just to live, just to find clean water. And um, so to find the words to describe 100,000 people, some of them trekked for days just to turn up to this event. And... Um, you know, these people aren't, these people were in, in real need, um, you know, so it's, oh man, it's, uh, it's tear jerking and it's, it's had a massive influence on my life and it's, you know, it, it's influenced the, my, my photography now and the way, the way I approach what I do now because um, I guess I just, I learned that everyone has a story. Um, like everyone has a story. Some stories are more interesting than others. Some stories are more hardcore than others, but everyone has a story. And when, when you travel, when you just look at different people and you wonder how these 100,000 people, where they come from, the little villages, what their life is like and, and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of mind-blowing really. I hope that kind of semi-answers your question, but yeah, it was intense. And to see the sea of people and to be thinking those things when you're looking at them, often in the eye from, from being, you know, on stage is kind of, yeah, it's just, it's insane. It's, it's, it's crazy. That does sound crazy. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's been the, yeah, the, the, probably the, the biggest impact on my life is traveling to places like Africa, um, India, um, Cambodia and, and seeing people in, in poverty. And one of the things we used to do was, we kind of visit charities that we were involved with and that we supported as a church. And so we would often put on events um, that people would turn up to and we would play our songs and all that kind of stuff. But we'd also visit the charities and see what they were doing. And um, I, I started to kind of, um, kind of try and do the best I could to capture um, with my camera everything I saw. Um, you know, the, try and document the work of the charities um, that we were visiting and um, just to be able to share that stuff with people who couldn't, who didn't have the opportunity to see it with your own eyes because, um, I mean, that's the power of a photograph, right? It's, I think a photograph can give a voice to people who don't have a voice and I really started to, to, to feel that, that that notion when, amongst all this travel, and I, I kind of almost felt a responsibility that hey, I'm really privileged to be able to see this stuff, to be able to talk to these people. Like I, I want to use my camera to to try and bring some of this back and to share the experience with other people who, who don't have the opportunity. And I, I still, you know, 
I, I still, yeah, that's still a, such such a core thing. Sounds like something that you'll continue doing if you aren't already continuing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So every year I try and do some projects like that. Last year, I um, I went back to Uganda actually and and captured uh, tried to document the work of a, a charity. It's actually my my uh, Beth's father's charity, my father-in-law's charity. Um, what's it? What's it called? It's called Amigos, Amigos International, and they basically look at caring for and educating um, AIDS orphans. So anything from sponsoring um, education for, for, for orphan kids to actually um, teaching them practical skills that they can go out and, um, and then um, make their own businesses and, and, and feed their families. So I, I did that last year and um, my father-in-law yeah, took me all around. We did a big road trip way up north into Uganda. And I mean, yeah, I, I, I really want to, and I always say this at my workshops, that, I, that those experiences are so valuable to me. They've changed me so much. And, um, and I just encourage everyone, if, if, you, if you get a chance, to do something like that, then take it because you it will change you for the better, you know. And um, and it's not just obviously about yourself; it's about using your photographs then to to help the work of a charity and to um, you know highlight highlight needs in the world. Um, and again, yeah, again, to give people a voice who don't have a, have a voice. It's heavy stuff, Ed. It I, is. Seriously, I had no idea that you're into that. I'm pretty heavy there, Cole, but. So okay, so let's um, let's uh, lighten, lighten it slightly, perhaps. But like, so ten years ago is when it sounded like you started to do the uh, documentation of these adventures, um, and you you just said that it was something you wanted to share. You felt the need to share um, the stories of these scenarios um, th- with pictures. So at that time, how were you sharing your stuff, and were you were you trying to share it with someone or a group of people specifically? It was just, um, it was, I guess, two outreaches. One was, um, or two outlets. One was just Facebook. Um, when I traveled, I tried to uh, make a point of being sociable and connecting with people. So wherever we traveled, we would, I would, you know, try and exchange Facebook details and um, for no other reason than just to, I think it's good to network and it's good to make friends around the world and um, and kind of, tracking forward quite far when I started the photography business that helped me a lot because I already had um, a worldwide friend base really just people I connected with on Facebook so when I started doing wedding photography I kind of I, I, I had a network of people that, you know potential clients I guess but anyway get, getting back to um, what we were talking about which is completely starting again again <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta dumb the questions down, Ed. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm. I, I was curious. Like, were you taking these pictures? Oh, with, who was like, I sharing them with? Yeah. yeah, like, did you have some sort of like entrepreneurial ambition with sharing them, or were you? It doesn't sound like you did, but no. Did, at the start, yeah. At the start, it was just friends. It was just people I was connected with, and also people in my church. I mean, I, my church is big, so. Um, 
yeah, I've connected with a lot of people. So sharing, um, sharing with them, and you know, photographs were used for some of the charities used the photographs for their literature, and also um, our our church would use photographs um, again for their um, for their literature mm-hmm. for for raising awareness. And for example, um, we do child sponsorship. At our church, so we, you know, we, we try and encourage people to, to sponsor a, a child and put them through education. So my photos would be used for, um, you know, portraits of, of, of kids in India. That kind of thing would, would be used to, um, to, to illustrate all that kind of stuff. Okay, so when did, like, at what point did? your PhD in aerospace engineering sort of take a back seat to whatever your next step was? Sure. I guess, um, it was soon after this travel had started. Because, 10 years ago. Yeah. Because I, I, one of the other key things I took away from all this travel and, and all these experiences was that I wanted to do something meaningful. I had this weight on me that, that just said, Hey, Ed, like I, I want to make a difference. I want to help. You know, I, I want to help people. I want to do. I want to do something that's going to be a bit more meaningful than just flying a plane to satisfy my own ambitions, ambitions and desires. I so I started to see becoming a pilot. And no offense to airline pilots at all, but it's kind of it would have been a quite a selfish lifestyle. I would have been flying as part of a two or three man crew. Um, Enjoying my, my time away, maybe, um, but I would be away from family. Um, I would be, you know, I'd, I'd be flying a lot of unsociable hours, and um, so although it would satisfy my ambitions, it, I think my fam- family life would have suffered. Um, so I started thinking, uh, you know, those, those thoughts too, and so slowly the ambition become pilot it started to, to wither um, but the, the key turning point was when the bass player of the band um, or team bass players, <laughs> <laughs> asked me to photograph his wedding he was he was another one of the key um, key members of the team and what year was this this was uh, 2009 so this guy was getting married his name's Dan and um, I owe a lot to Dan um, because he forced me almost <laughs> to photograph his wedding. Um, you know, when he first asked me, um, I said, man, no way. Like, I love photography, but weddings, dude, yeah, that's just not, it's just not my, my gig. Like, I just, I, I mean, I got married 10 years ago and I had a bad experience with my wedding photographer 10 years ago. Um, and so all I had in my head was boring, traditional, staged photographs with no life, <laughs> because that's pretty much how, how I would sum up my own wedding photographs. Um, I hope my wedding photographer isn't going to listen to it. <laughs> um, but um, so, so, yeah, I, I refused my friend, my friend Dan. I said, hey, man, no, like, you know, just, just find somebody else. But he, he, he kind of 
pestered me a little bit and and he, he, he what he told me and the reason I ended up doing it was because he said hey just do just take the same photographs you do when we travel because he was somebody who traveled a lot he was um, I believe he was in Africa with me for, for that for that trip and, and as well as many others and he was very familiar with my photography and you know I'd already kind of developed a style um, and so he said just do that and 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 apply it to my wedding. Just take the take the photographs you want, and and I thank him so much. Looking back, that was the turning point for me because the fact that my, at my very first wedding I was allowed just to take the photographs I wanted to, and I was allowed to shoot it in my own style. I had no, I you know, I had no. There was not really an expectation on me. I just went in and had a great time. And so, sure, there was a bit of pressure. I felt pressure and. I realized there were shots I had to get, um, but I can, you know, I walked away from the first wedding actually really enjoying what I what I just did, and then the feeling of handing over these photographs to my friend and seeing how much they meant to my friend and his wife and their families, that really had a big effect on me as well, because then this tied in the, you know, I was talking about I wanted to do something meaningful, and I really felt handing over these wedding images to my friend was was really meaningful I could see you, you can see the impact you can see the emotion and um, and I know the photographs they're going to you know treasure for their life and share with their kids and their grandkids in years to come so that got me thinking that you know oh you know maybe there's something in it but after my first wedding um, <clears throat> still I had no ambition to start a business. Um, well, what were you thinking at that time? Because it, I'm just like, I'm trying to like connect the dots a little bit with the timeline here. It sounds like the ambition to be a pilot sort of waned around maybe 2005. And then you photographed your first wedding in 2009. So yeah. in, in that, in those gap years, I can't, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who would just like tour around in a band or in a team. Like what, <laughs> what were you thinking about with your career at that point? Yeah, during my PhD, I had I had no idea really. Um, I guess I was, you know, as I said earlier, it was more about lifestyle. So I guess I was willing to do whatever just so that this lifestyle of traveling and, and playing guitar um, could continue. Um, so that that's kind of where I was. And then um, after shooting my first wedding, yeah, I think it was December 2000, November or December, or December 2009, that was the first wedding. And then in 2010, I shot a few more just for friends and, um, or, and friends of friends. And I still had no ambition to start a business. I just saw it as a way of, you know, my, I've become more of a keen photographer and I just saw it as a way of earning a little bit of money just to buy a new lens and just to get, get better gear so I could when I you know when I traveled with a band I could take better photographs that's how I kind of saw it so that was we'll just say 2010 is your first year then um, yeah. at that point it's you had your like your team with Hillsong and you mm -hmm. had your your church and you had, you know, maybe people you networked with around the world when you were doing a lot of the traveling. So it sounds to me like you like you had a pretty big base to work from if you wanted to kickstart a business like this. Do, do you agree? Yeah, without, yeah, without completely without knowing it at the time. 
And, so uh, which of which of those three like segments, if we're going to call them segments, like Hillsong, the church, the people you met at your travels, like which of those three segments did you kind of like um, communicate to first that you're now a wedding photographer? Or did, you, or did you think strategically at all at that time? No, no. Literally, even now, I'm, re- I'm really not very strategic. Um, I, I've never been strategic with my business. Um, it's, um, I'm probably the opposite to Nordica <laughs> in that sense. Like, I've really just, I'm just riding a wave. Literally, I just feel like I'm riding a wave. Um, now I'm starting to think a bit more strategic because I want the wave to continue and not fizzle mm-hmm. out, right? So, But I'm thinking in 2010, like... Did you think at all, like, okay, I want to target this segment of, of people because I think that there could be a, a large pool of engaged people, for example, or people who just trust you inherently or something like that? No, no, I didn't. I All I did was, um, as I did with all my other trips and all the photographs of my other trips, I just shared these wedding photos of my friend on Facebook. Um, and, yeah, without knowing it, I guess I did have a... It, it, let's call it an audience, I, I guess, for my wedding f- photographs. And that's how my first few weddings were booked. It was just people that suddenly saw these wedding photographs instead of tour photographs or, you know, uh, photographs of Africa or India or, or wherever. And suddenly they were, you know, they were faced with wedding photographs. And I guess a few of those people were were getting married and looking for photographers. So they literally, my first few inquiries were just Facebook messages saying, hey, I didn't know you did weddings. I'm getting married. The key trigger, though, the, the key turning point for me when I, when I suddenly just realized that, hey, man, this is, this could actually be a business. This could actually be a future. Was in that first year, 2010. I only shot six or seven weddings, but two of them were destination weddings. Um, one was in France, and one was in Costa Rica, and. After shooting those two weddings, that's when it—that's when the light bulb went off in my head, if you like, and that's when I realised that hey, wedding photography, this is awesome. I'm having a great time, and this is way better than being a pilot ever could have been because it kind of encompasses so many of my passions into one package. Um, obviously, photography. Um, through those years, I've really become a, an avid photographer. Well, one thing, okay, one thing I'm curious about. Yeah. Uh, so in 2010, you did six or seven weddings, you said. And yeah. like, basically, if I, my memory serves me correctly, like 2011, maybe it was, but definitely 2012, like Ed motherfucking Piers is on the map. And I'm, and I'm being serious because you were presenting at big conferences and you started doing workshops, I think, in 2012. And so things kind of like blew up, I guess, for you fairly quickly. But in saying that, you, you strike me as a pretty like a pretty passive guy, like online, at least like mm-hmm. your online presence is not a you're not a big raw, raw guy. And, and even speaking with you now, you're you're a modest dude. Uh, so I'm curious, like, how did you like in a like in a subtle, passive way, like grow so quickly because I mean, the results now where you're at now speak for itself, but it doesn't sound like you had any ambition to get there or had any like concrete actions or tactics to make that happen. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's a difficult question to answer because I really don't know. I really don't know the answer. Like, as I said, it's kind of, I've just kind of been riding a wave. And I guess 
I guess all I've done is really just concentrated on putting out good work. And I think if you concentrate on putting out good work, um, then people will people will, will notice, I guess. And well, you make that sound very easy. Yeah. And there then there are a lot of people putting out great work who aren't like forced gumping their way into stardom, you know, to put it, you know, mildly or whatever. So the Costa Rica wedding and the France wedding, those helped. But were there any other key points that helped the wave get going? Because the wave, like, I, I it, it would be amazing if it just started on its own with the Costa Rica wedding and the France wedding. But did you have a, like a mentor or something like that? Because, I mean, you came from the academic world and maybe yeah. you didn't have a lot of business sense. So did you have like a mentor, for example, that helped along the way? Um, no, I didn't, didn't have a... A mentor. Um, I guess, or well, one of the things I found really helpful was our good friend Jonas Peterson. Um, he's always been so open in in, in sharing, and um, and uh, starting off in my first year, I would read his um, his uh, what, what was that thing? You know, the question and answers. Form spring. Form spring. That's it. Um, yeah, I, I would. I you know read that with interest and I'm so I don't know if I've had a chance to thank Jonas in person for that but he has um yeah he was a big influence just the some of the and it's a lot of it wasn't practical it was more of a the mindset of um some of the mind you know the key some of his key philosophies that he, he would just share and um I think that's as far as I got in terms of a mentor Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and spin this a different way then. Like things like Jonas Pearson's Forum Spring or various forums, like those are all very helpful things. But, but you, you or, or whoever um, absorbs that information still needs to take action somehow. So like with you, what actions do you think you took that allowed you to get invitation to speak at Boda F, for example, which I, I think was maybe your biggest uh, first speaking gig? So like what 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 were you doing that got you the the gateway into those types of events do you think? Because you can read the forum spring and it all sounds great but you need to like put that into action somehow. So what do you think you were doing? I guess um literally all I was doing was as I said um just trying to do the best work I could blogging as regularly as I could. Um and then just sharing on a, 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 and I've never been massive on social media, and um, but just sharing on, on Facebook, and literally that was it. Um, just driving a little bit of traffic to my blog through through Facebook, and and the, the, like things like Boda F. I even now I can't tell you how they found me, how they got in touch, but it was um, yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> I'm so unstrategic, and uh, well. I have a feeling this is going to be music to certain people's ears uh, in a way, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm not too sure. So like outside of blogging a bit and dabbling on social media, like, do you, do you look at maybe the church as like something that helped you get a lot of uh, bookings in the beginning? Because you still had to pay the bill somehow and the bookings weren't necessarily going to come from the sky. So do you think like your involvement with the church helped a bit? 
Um, definitely connection, all the connections I've made definitely helped because, uh, you know, we've said already, I had, had that audience. I, I tried to, um, not knowing it at the time, but I just, I tried to connect with as many people as I could when we traveled and, and, and in church just, just because it's good to, you know, to, to network and connect. And so that, I mean, if I didn't have that, then yeah, maybe I wouldn't be speaking to you now because having that network was a, a massive key, um, a, a huge key. And I think that's, um, you know, I, I guess the lesson or, or what I'd say to photographers starting out now is just that being sociable and making genuine relationships and connections with people is huge. And literally that is, you know, most of my inquiries now come from recommendations or, or word of mouth or, uh, you know, referrals from other photographers or previous clients, and that's what I've built my business around. It's strategic things like um, SEO, ad, you know, ad advertising, things like that. Um, I've, I've never focused on on that that kind of thing. So, do you did you look at this industry as one where if you had okay work and common sense, the sky was the limit? Well, that's a, that's a oh, that's a tough question to answer, but I've never. I've never um, really sat down and thought, "Hey, what what do I want to achieve in this industry?" Like, how uh, I just want to. Uh, this is just you know, this is quite hard to uh, to convey, but I'm quite simple in the fact that I, I just want to be shooting weddings for clients who appreciate my work and people I connect with in in places that inspire me and that fuel my inspiration and all of that kind of stuff and have an incredible family life and be able to support my life and have the time to be able to share what I do with them. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as my ambition goes. I, this stuff like, um, you know, speaking at, uh, you know, way up north and, and the conferences I get invited to, that's never been part of my agenda. That's just stuff I've just said yes to as opportunities arise, literally one of the one of the teachings that you know at at, at church and one of the one of the parts of our, our church culture is just saying yes to things um making yourself available and just saying yes to things and that's really that's really how um i've my business has grown because i've just taken opportunities and i've just said just said yeah okay i'm really not comfortable with speaking um in front of a big crowd it's not my thing I'm, but i'm just going to say yes and give it a give it a go and it's kind of it's kind of what I'm doing, you know. Um, well, in hearing that, like my first reaction when you just said that is like, do you, would you describe yourself as an opportunist? Yeah, in a, in a way, I like I, I guess I just live each day. I just take each day as it comes and um, and take opportunities. And um, yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about taking opportunities, you know, in workshops because there have been there's been some weddings that I've um, I would have. Looking back, I would have paid to have photographed because they've been so influential and they've been such um, oh, keystones. I don't know if keystone is the right word, but they've just been, um, yeah, really. They've really been anchors in in my business and and in my progression. So, um, yeah, opportunity, man. Um, so, like now, when I when I think about your brand, I guess you could say that because 
you are your brand in a way. When I think about like Ed Pierce photography brand, it's it's a jet setting dude traveling around the world, really. And that's what you do. You focus a lot on destination weddings, it seems like. So what effect does that have on your personal life? Because if you look through your Instagram feed, for example, it's like, holy shit, you're on a mountain in South Africa and then you're in Singapore and you're doing a lot of things. So what's going on behind the scenes? We're, um, I mean, it, it's, it, it can be a challenge striking the balance. And I want to talk about that a bit at, um, way up north because getting the balance is key. I think there are so many people, like you said, they can have awesome uh, Instagram feeds and they can, the, their appearance or their brand is like one of success and, you know, traveling and shooting awesome weddings. But underneath, they can be like, you know, like a swan underwater or, you know, or the personal lives can be, you know, whatever, you know, could be some struggles in, in those areas. So for me, um, you know, my, my personal life is absolutely, that's number one. My, my family come first way before my business. Um, they, they are number one. So if, um, I mean, this year is, is an example um, where I've just decided to pull back a bit on the number of weddings I photograph because last year probably wasn't sustainable. Last year I photographed, I think, 46 weddings and 30 of those were international weddings. So, um, you know, we, we traveled a lot and it was an incredible year because my, my family traveled with me so much. Sorry to jump in, but how, like, what does your wife do? Were you, was she on maternity leave or...? She um, she's never gone back to work since having Georgia. Georgia's now three, um, and my yeah. But so Beth is a midwife. Just to give you a bit of background, Beth, she's a midwife by profession, uh, but she's not gone back to work. And we've just really enjoyed the opportunity to travel as a family. So yeah, a lot of people say to me, "Oh, you um, you know, you mustn't see much of your family." But actually, I think I see more of my way more of my family than the the average. Um, the average professional because we're taking last year for example we we traveled together um, we, we were away overseas for 17 weeks of the year as a family um, wow that's incredible yeah so uh, trips up to six weeks long you know with four or five weddings um, in between and um, and yeah we just brought them I brought them along and we had an incredible year the reason I'm pulling back this year is because that isn't sustainable. We made the we took the opportunity since Georgia is um, was young and she's happens to be a great little traveler. We tra we started her off young, and um, she, she really loves to travel and uh, and I love traveling with my family. So we we made the most of last year and last year was probably an exception. So this year, knowing that last year wasn't sustainable, I've pulled back. Um, and I'm shooting a third less weddings this year. Still shooting the same proportion internationally. Um, so, like, I'm just curious. Uh, you, you described the, like, the facade of a destination wedding photographer as sometimes like a swan with a swan underwater. Is I think <laughs> how you said it. So, do you think it's a phase in this industry that's going to go away? Because I. I hear often of people who travel as much as you do that it's not sustainable. So like in your situation, if, if you believe that to be true, like what's your best case scenario then? I think it is sustainable. I, I really think it is sustainable. And um, I plan on it. You know, I'm doing everything I can to ensure it is sustainable. Um, Even with that amount of travel? 
Yeah, as I say, I'm pulling back. to. to so this year, for example, um, I'm limiting myself to 30 weddings. Um, still the same proportion, so 20 are overseas. But the, the way I can do that is, and still have a great family life is, even though my family won't be traveling with me as much this year, is that when I'm, when I'm away, I, I get my work done. And when I'm at home, I'm at home. And I, I, I you know, obviously there are, I have to work when I'm at home, but I very rarely work a full day um, when I'm at home with my family. We nearly every day we would have a half day off together and, and do things. So um, the key thing is being efficient. I mean, for me, you know, you know, I know wedding photographers who shoot half as many weddings as me, but and and the majority of them local, but yet. I see them on social media complaining about how busy they are, and for me, it just doesn't add up. Um, I think you can be disciplined and efficient with what you do, so that you can have you can have both. You can have a a, a balanced personal life, and you can travel a lot. Um, and yeah, so I, I I think it's do think it's sustainable and possible, but I think efficiency is key. You know? Like efficiency with like. Your business processes? Yeah. Well, efficiency, for example, the last wedding, um, last time I traveled was in Italy. I'd already called that wedding before I landed back home. Um, so, you know, I, I, I had my, my editing and my, my workflow and everything, I've, I've worked hard to make that as efficient um, as possible. And so by doing, by, make, by having that efficiency, and only restricting myself to one wedding a week, um, which is what I'm doing this year. This year I'm doing no double headers, okay, triple headers, um, and that means to me I can spend, um, for example, a weekend I'm away, traveling for a wedding. So I'm back on Monday. I have literally probably half to a full day of work to do that week in terms of delivering that wedding. Yeah, and. Of, of course, there's admin, there's emails, there's all that kind of stuff that takes up time. But um, but I plan on the re- the remainder of that week to be relatively free and family focused. Wow, that's amazing. It's, yeah, that's pretty much. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I try and try and do. Um, so, um, and I find I, I just find I'm, I'm very inspired when I'm away, and I, and I get a lot of stuff. I get a lot of work done. Um, You're not out partying. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, there is an element of definitely socialising with your clients because that that is definitely key to what I do, and 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 that helps. But um, but yeah, I'm 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 pretty focused, and I'm not just in a spiral day. I am. Um, I, I will. I might be on a sunbed, but but I'll be working. One thing I'm curious about, um, I want to ask you about is like my, maybe I have a a jaded view and I'm being maybe overly critical, but when I think of a wedding, wedding photographer's website, what I think about is maybe a thousand pixel wide images, a white background, light gray font, sans serif, and maybe it's a pro photo theme. And if you go to like, if you just randomly clicked on clicked through maybe 50 wedding photographer websites, probably half of them will be more or less the exact same. And we were guilty of that as well. And maybe that's the Jonas Peterson effect because I think his site. So your site's like that. 
Yeah. And that's okay. And it's working for you. So my question for you is, is how important do you think design and branding actually is to build a business? Well, branding is absolutely huge. Um, obviously, I guess the key thing to get across is what branding actually is because I mean, you guys are you know more, far more qualified to speak on that than than me. But um, f- to me, branding is you know it's not your logo and your font and your theme, your WordPress theme. It's um, it's just the overall impression that, that you're you, you know that this is the, the face you're giving your business, and um, and that is absolutely huge because I think the key thing to have a sustainable business is to be shooting the weddings that you want to be shooting with clients that. Um, you, you connect with, you know, I think, you know, I, I have a couple of um, ex-winning photographer friends and the reason they, they quit was just wrong clients. It's, it's They just got burnt out by shooting wrong clients and wrong weddings. So your branding is the thing that's going to attract the right clients who are having weddings in the places that I want to, you know, be traveling to. So branding is absolutely huge. Um, so so in, in saying that, like, who are your clients? Like, it sounds to me like you've um, maybe maybe unintentionally or intentionally kind of like learned who your clients are. So how would you describe them? For me, this is the way I work, and it's really simple. I just take the photographs that I want to take, and I only show the photographs that I want to take again. And then it's just a my ideal client is simply people who connect with my work, and that is I don't. I don't really care how old they are, what they look like. It's simply people who connect with my work. Because if they connect with my work, then um, we're going to get on great, and we're going to—I'm just going to have a great time. I know already. I, I, I mean, it, it's strange, and but just the just the fact that you're um, visually driven by the same type of photography or art or that kind of thing—I think it says a lot about somebody. So the fact that you know, I guess part of my voice and part of my brand is very like uh, this. In the weddings I show, there's often a sense of kind of more peace and calm about the weddings I, I show, um, and so that attracts people. You know, obviously, who are looking for, who tend to be more chilled out and relaxed. I, um, and so, yeah, just to reiterate that my kind of ideal client is just somebody who connects with my work, and as long as I'm really focused on the work I show, then that's actually going to be quite a a niche client base, just by, by default. Again, you're making this all sound so easy, Ed. <laughs> because what, the way you just described that, I just pictured uh, a concert, wh- wh- whichever band, and people just show up because they like the band, and that's as simple as that. Yeah, it, yeah, it is, man. I, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, you're living the dream, Ed. So, what outside of photography and um, the like, the awesome amount of attention that that you give to your family? Um, what other sorts of things do you have on the go in your personal life? Um, yeah, I mean, I I guess I've tried to um, try to just focus on on the key things because uh, you can easily get distracted by a lot, lot, you know, lots of different things. So, in fact, guitar playing has had to take a bit of a back seat. So to answer the question, the first part of that question is I've actually been chopping things out of my life to make sure I have room for the key things, to make sure my life's not too cluttered with things. So, uh, you know, I used to enjoy a spot of golf, for example. Um, 
and I used to be way more involved with with Hillsong and playing in the band. But those, both of those things, I mean, golf I haven't played for three years now. Um, playing guitar, I, I very, very rarely play now. Um, I play maybe 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 ten times a year, and that's a very conscious decision because it's it's a, a, a big commitment and um and i know my family life or all my business would suffer and there's i think we all all have a limit to what we, we can take on and and be and be comfortable so i guess i'm on a journey i mean i certainly haven't got it all sussed out and i'm still learning and you know life's a, con- a constant journey but um for me i guess the theme for this year has been less is more and um my life is, I mean, my life is is really kind of filled with just um, what I do for, for, for my business and um, and my family. Because there's so many facets to my business. I'm, I I don't like to, um, you know, for me, it's far more than just turning up, taking photographs, and delivering them, and that's the end of it. It's it's about yeah, it's it's about the people you meet and making relationships and. Um, and and networking with and making friends with people in the industry, you know, like you guys and uh, and, and all that stuff. And um, yeah, so there's not actually much to it apart from. And also, I guess with Georgia being so young, you know what it's like. You've got a, a young daughter. You you know, you, other things have to take a back seat, and you, your life is filled with just figuring out life with this new little person in your in your family. Yeah. Um, and. So that's where we are. I mean, as I said at the start, we're undergoing this major renovation to our house, and that has consumed most of my time in the last three months. Um, and I'm so excited by that because that I'm, you know, in in, in essence, I'm building um, a home for my family for the next however many years. It's it's going to be our, uh, you know, we're not we're not planning to move anytime soon. So. Um, to be able to kind of put in all my influences to this to this home that I'm kind of designing and and um, getting ready for my family is is, is a, ma- a massive part. So once this house is finished, I don't know, maybe I have a bit more time and play a bit more guitar. Well, I think that brings it around uh, full circle, Ed. Cool. So, so last question then is, um, what what are you looking forward to about coming to Sweden in uh, in October in the fall? You've been here before. You've photographed a few weddings, uh, I think, in Sweden, and you've come to Jakob's wedding as a guest. So you've been here yeah. before, but in the fall, uh, maybe specifically to the event, like what are you looking forward to about it? Well, the, the thing I love about any event like this is just yeah, it's, it's meeting new people. It's it, um, it's all about the. The, the new people you, you you're going to meet, um, and the potential for new you know re, new relationships and whatever will, or however they'll grow in the future. Um, also, learning, man. I'm I'm the the lineup is super exciting, and I, I I'm going to be more like um, you know I'm going to be in all of those talks with my notebook, and um, I, I can't wait to hear what everyone else is going to share. And um, well, it sounds like you need to buy Jonas a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, cool, Ed. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to do this. And uh, good luck with the home renovations. 
thanks so much, Cole. It's been a pleasure. And um, look forward to seeing you in Stockholm later this year. Me too, Ed. Take care. Thanks a lot, Cole. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There we go. Ed Pears, an all-around awesome guy who's clearly a very talented fella. The next episode is with Fer Juaristi. If you have uh, any questions you'd like us to ask the speakers after Fer, please let us know. You can get a hold of us at Instagram, Facebook or Twitter at WayUpNorth2015 or through our email info at WayUpNorth.co. That's it for this week. Talk soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 